0: Welcome to the Breaking the Service podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds who broke into tech. On today's episode, we're chatting with Jessica Ullman, who has a very interesting journey of becoming a product manager at Fitbit. After several years of working as an electrical engineer after college, Jessica decided to pursue her passion for education and joined Udacity as a program manager, focusing on building out the nano degree program. She then took a leap into product management space and attended product school, which helped her get to where she is today. This episode is very special to us, not only because Jessica has an amazing breaking story, but also because this is episode number 50. Over the last six months, we've seen the Breaking stars community grow to over 8,000 people on Facebook. We've crossed over 100,000 downloads and have been featured in TechCrunch, Entrepreneur, and other publications. But enough about us. This podcast is about you and highlighting amazing people in tech. Since starting, our listeners have graduated from top boot camps and broken into software engineering, product management, design, growth hacking, and other fields at awesome tech startups. After lots of conversations, we put together the recommended resources section on our website that has the most helpful resources. Whether you want to learn growth hacking or how to code, you could go to breakingthestartups.com forward slash resources to find out online courses or in-person boot camps that will get you on your way. Only thing we ask is please use our sign-up links to let our partners know that you're a Breaking the Startups listener to get a preferred rate or other perks. As always, give us your feedback by dropping a review on iTunes. It's not only the best way to tell our team what you think of this podcast, but it will also help us tailor the stories to what you, the listener, wants to hear. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode and let's break in.
1: Growing up we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timo Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars podcast. Timo, can you please tell the people what we're doing today?
0: Yeah, so today's a Friday. It's about 8 30 a.m. Um, so our guest graciously agreed to come and meet us. And we know that in our Facebook group, we asked uh, a lot of you which roles you were most interested in. And product management was one of those answers. So we decided to bring on a product manager on today's interview. Arthur, can you please introduce the guest? Yeah, so we have the pleasure of chatting with uh, Jessica Ullman. Welcome, Jessica. And Jessica has a very interesting background. She built her first HTML and CSS website when she was 13 years old. And then she got involved in theater in college and discovered electrical engineering when she was a sophomore. And uh, that's what she majored in. She ended up working as an electrical engineer for a few years after school. And then uh, she decided to pursue her passion for education and joined Udacity. Nano degree program. And um, after that, she moved on to becoming a product manager at Fitbit. So she has a very interesting story. We're going to go deeper into all these aspects. But I wanted to just mention that I remember uh, when I was learning how to code, I actually took one of the front-end engineering nano degrees um, a couple of years ago.
2: Yeah, nice. So then yeah, you probably saw me, I guess. <laughs> oh my <Yeah>. god.
0: <laughs> 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 that was you. I yeah. remember you had a coworker too. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah. The first, the first class, the HTML wow. and CSS class.
0: Yeah, and I remember I liked it so much, that I actually had Ruben take it too. And he uh, <laughs> he was learning HTML and CSS and how to build like a. I think the first website was like building a, like I remember images of lions and yep. uh,
2: yeah, yeah, <laughs> cats. Yep, cats. Yep.
0: <laughs> awesome. Yeah, <laughs> it's,
1: it's, it's, a, it's a great, it's a great program, and for the people that are listening, that don't know what it's all about. Can you kind of give them a high-level overview of what that is?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So Udacity has what they call nanodegree programs, which are basically targeted technical, mostly technical programs, although some non-technical now, designed to help get you a job. So there's front-end web developer, there's iOS developer, Android developer, machine learning, even self-driving car. So it's, it's targeted to teach you the skills you need to get a job in that area.
0: Yep. And Udacity, it's an education company, right? Yes. And these courses are free, right? For the public?
2: Yeah. So the courses the courses are all free. And then the nanodegree program is... Well, it depends. two to $300 a month, usually. And then you get a review from experts uh, on all of your code, kind of feedback on your projects, and then also career support when you graduate to help you find a job.
0: Cool. That's really cool. And, and anyone can do it remotely if they wanted to, Absolutely.
2: Right? Yeah. It's all online. No need to be in person at all. So totally self-guided.
0: Yeah. That's really cool. So we'll come back to um, your experience at Udacity in a second. Sounds but uh, take us back. Uh, tell us about your childhood. Arthur mentioned that you were coding since... Or you were doing HTML, CSS since 13. What were you like growing up? What were you interested in?
2: Uh, I was a huge nerd. I loved to read. I loved to learn. I loved to teach other people what I was learning. And I loved computers. I was kind of the de facto IT person uh, in my household, as I think many people our age were growing up. And I also was fascinated with the internet and how easy it was to kind of share your thoughts and ideas. My thoughts and ideas came in the form of a Sailor Moon fan fiction website. And I learned HTML uh, and CSS because I just didn't like the Angel Fire templates. I thought they were really lame. And I wanted to make my own. And so I did. (laughs) And I maintained that website.
0: Is it up still?
2: Probably not. I haven't tried it, but I would imagine it's probably pretty broken because I stopped maintaining it, I think, my junior year in high school. So it's been quite a while.
0: Yeah, I remember when I was in middle school, around age of like 12, 13, we had a computer class mm-hmm. and using some basic HTML, I made a website about it. airplanes. Nice. I think we hosted on GeoCities.
2: Oh, yeah. So I don't think yeah. it's
0: still around. But yeah, it was definitely a fun time. Yeah. So yeah. what did you end up doing? You know, um, yeah, go ahead, Ruben.
1: I was just going to say I love Sailor Moon too. And Yay. just want to talk about how, how you went to like, like the other things that you were doing and how you started pursuing your, your engineering passion. Yeah,
2: so I think what's funny is I, even though I was coding a website, I still didn't think of engineering or being a programmer as a job that I could do, that I w- was able to do. And I had an aunt who was a computer scientist at IBM who kept encouraging me. It was like, no, Jessica, no, seriously, uh, you can code, I promise. But I just didn't think I could. And I followed my passion for musical theater for a while until I decided that I did really like the idea of making money when I graduated from college. And so then I was like, well, my aunt's been telling me that I should do engineering. So I guess we'll check this engineering thing out. And then I, then I found electrical engineering. I wasn't too sold on the straight programming being in front of a screen all day. But I really liked where the physical electronics met digital programming. So I liked programming physical devices that you could interact with.
0: Yeah. And it's, it sounds like after college, uh, you went on to work for a company that where you actually applied that skill. And uh, tell us a little bit about that experience. And then what made you move out to the Valley?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So graduating, I wanted to, to leave Florida, but didn't really go straight to the Valley. Because I think, again, it was I don't think I was good enough to work there. I have a degree from a Florida university. And if you work in the Valley, you must have gone to Stanford or MIT or something like you have to be a really smart person. But I found a great company in Sacramento whose products I used in class. They were called Parallax. And I started in their education department. And I was designing boards and products and creating projects for students to do in class and teaching teachers how to use robotics and microcontrollers in their classroom. So it was a, it was really great it was really diverse. I made my first online videos there and then eventually moved on to being engineering manager for the whole company, so kind of setting the direction on what we were developing and what we were making and why and then moved into a little bit more business oriented, helping to set up new distributors, new suppliers, visiting China and our factories and and all of that good stuff too. But by then was looking to relocate to the valley was then a little bit more familiar with it. Wasn't as high of a hurdle. I felt like, oh, okay, I could probably actually get a job there. I know people in who work in the Valley, and so uh, Udacity was, I think, probably around for a couple years, but just starting to gain traction. And they were hiring, and so I started to bring up their iOS Developer Nano Degree. So kind of wanted to keep close to education and kind of see that further, and then also trying to stick close to kind of digital physical interaction with at least with the phone you can. And
0: And what was your role at Udacity? Uh, Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah. So I was program manager for our mobile nano degrees or their mobile nano degrees now. So iOS and Android. So I started in creating the iOS developer nano degree, working with a team of curriculum developers and course developers to outline what we were going to teach and the projects that we wanted students to complete in order to demonstrate that they have mastery of the skills and knowledge required in order to get a job. So we outlined five courses and five projects. I even taught one of the last courses because uh, sometimes you just got to... Was it
0: the HTML, CSS?
2: No. So that was the front-end developer nano oh, gotcha. degree. They needed help with that one at the time. And they were like, well, you've been in videos before and you know how to teach stuff. So will you do it? And I was like, okay, fine. <laughs> um, and so yeah. So then I did the iOS developer nano degree, brought that up, kind of helped mature it. That helped keep students enrolled, monitored their progress, saw where they were getting stuck, made some adjustments to the program change projects, and then took over the Android developer nano degree, managed both of those, then kind of wanted a bit of a change, was kind of doing the same thing over and over. And I joined their growth team as a product manager.
0: Yeah. yeah and for our listeners, degree is completely free. Mm-hmm. And it consists of like five, six different courses that help you get a pretty comprehensive view of the entire skill set. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, once you graduate, you receive a certificate, which you can use to put on your resume and actually start applying for jobs, which is very cool. And they have... Can you just ma- mention some of the concentrations that of 90 degrees that are there now?
2: Uh, yeah. So yeah, I just make the what clarification to get the certificate you have to pay. But otherwise, yeah. Otherwise, How much you do can you take... have to
0: pay? Or what, what's uh, the approximate price? Uh,
2: it depends on the class. So anywhere from like two to $300 a mm-hmm. month. Some are term limited now. So uh, kind of the the ones that, hire, that require a little bit higher level of knowledge. So artificial intelligence, self-driving car, do a little bit more vetting and want to make sure people are a little bit more dedicated. So those are kind of on cohort models. But yeah, so iOS developer, Android developer, front-end web developer, full stack developer. They just launched since I left digital marketing, nanodegree, virtual reality developer, and uh, data, not data science data analyst, and yeah.
0: Awesome. And as someone who was actually like running these programs and helping students stay involved, what are some takeaways from like the educational side that people could use to keep themselves motivated and actually completing these courses? Because I've seen a statistic of MOOCs that a lot of people start these programs and like very few actually end up finishing. Yeah. So the people that did end up finishing, what are what were some of the
1: characteristics and what did they do right to keep themselves motivated? yeah. I don't know. A mooc, a mooc represents a massive open online course.
2: Yeah, which these, I mean, kind of, kind of are, um, but they're they are more targeted towards a goal. But it is it is hard to stay motivated. I think because you're online, you're not necessarily connected with people. You have to really work to to succeed. So I think for those who do succeed, it's it's really setting and making a habit out of your learning. It. It's being really dedicated and and setting aside certain hours of the day that these are my study time and I'm not going to schedule over it. It's finding a community and and getting really involved with them. So Udacity has has some community support. So it's posting with other students, kind of helping to stay motivated by also motivating others. And I think then finding what really interests you about, about the program and kind of going above and beyond. So what they're teaching or the examples that we're using in the classes—they're not going to be 100% relatable for everyone. You, you know, you try to do what you can, but people are very varied in their interest. So, whatever you can do to kind of reinforce your learning and, and apply it to something that might interest you, really kind of helps you keep motivated to keep going forward.
0: Yeah, and a lot of people are interested in the product manager role. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned y- you worked as a program manager. Mm-hmm. Is it just? Does it mean the same thing or are their responsibilities slightly different? Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: Yeah, I, so it depends on the company, I would say. I find that these roles are very defined differently depending on the organization and sometimes even within departments within the organization. So at Udacity, the real kind of the way that it was separated was program managers were for curriculum and the product managers were more platform. So the actual classroom experience design, how things were presented to you, maintaining the forums, gathering all of the data that was all product managers and what they managed and then program managers were more curriculum holistic, how do we maintain this program as a business? How do we keep students engaged and how do we help them get through basically and get more students into the mm-hmm. into the program. So I would say the program manager role at Udacity did share a lot of similarities with the product manager role at other companies, but that was kind of the distinction there. But as a general rule, I think for companies that I've seen, is program managers are, are more the people that execute on a plan or vision that's that's given by the product manager. So the product manager kind of thinks we should develop this, we should go in this way, and then the program manager helps make that happen.
0: Would it be similar to a project manager, kind of like because? From my understanding, project managers are more responsible for delivery of the product, making sure the teams follow certain like workflows and sprints. Would you say there's a little bit of overlap with project management as well?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I think the three are very closely connected mm-hmm. and you need to kind of have skills from each as, a, as both program management and project management as a product manager. But yeah, I would say very yeah. similar.
0: Yeah. And I think what's interesting about your story is that you've been able to transition Laterally from one role into another. And from my experience, there's a few different ways to break into product manager, but by far the most common one is lateral switching from an adjacent field into product manager. Mm-hmm. So, kind of tell us a little bit about your experience and then how did you work on acquiring and solidifying the skill set of a product manager?
2: Yeah, so the growth team at Udacity was just forming and i knew that i i wanted to get into product management just from what i was reading in the field and i felt that that would be a, the best step next step career wise so got into product management at udacity but then i found that everyone's definition was still a little bit different so even among the product managers at the company and i felt like i just wanted kind of a solid grounding in philosophy of the entire role from somewhere. So I at least have something to build off of instead of hearing from this person over here that product managers do this, and you should really focus on this and this person over here. And it's just, who do you trust? So I had a coworker who had gone through product school and was like, this seems great. You should really look into it. And I said, okay. And went in there for kind of their pre-interview, pre-screening, they seemed really great. And I was like, this seems like it's going to give me that foundation that I need to build off of and kind of then create my own definition of product yeah. management.
0: Yeah. yeah. And we, we've actually had Carlos, the, the founder of Product mm-hmm. School on the podcast, and he talked about the structure of the program. But yep. in case our listeners have not heard that episode, how would you describe a Product School? What is the structure and what what can you get out of it?
2: Yeah. So it's an 8-week program and you can choose either all day on Saturday or Tuesday and Thursday nights. I opted for the Saturday just cuz in the evenings I'm usually not at my best. <laughs> so did the Saturday class, you kind of go through a structure of, you know, what the daily tasks are for a product manager, a little bit of project management, a little bit of how to work with engineers, how to work with marketing, how to come up with a product pitch, how to talk with executives, that type of thing. And then throughout the entire course, you have a project where you choose an outside company and you think of a product that they should build. And you kind of go through your entire, this is, you know, what I think you should build. These are the reasons that I think you should build it and why this is important to your business. These are the metrics that I think I would track to see if this was successful or not. And then this is kind of my execution plan of how it would either get built or What did you focus launched.
0: on during that program?
2: Uh, so before I said that I love Sailor Moon. Uh, so because I still love anime, I chose Crunchyroll, which is a company here in San Francisco. They're an anime streaming service. And so as a customer, I found it really obnoxious that there's no way to really organize your queue at all. So I came up with basically an entire system for better managing queue of shows that you watch or either want to watch or are just saving because you love them and you want to revisit them. Mm -hmm. Just basically as a means for, I would think, increasing engagement and kind of time on the platform Mm -hmm. because it's, if you can't find the show that you want to watch, you're not going to watch it. Like
0: Save for Later or like Favorite. Yeah. And you got kind of a board where you could see all the shows. Right.
2: Yeah. Because if you're people like me, I have like 50 shows because there are some that I love. And I'm like, one day I want to remember this and I want to come back and watch it. But then Mm. it makes it really hard for me to find the shows that I'm watching Mm. in this season and scroll. And actually, even sometimes I would be like, well, I don't want to scroll right now. And I'm really lazy. So I'll just watch that show
0: later. (laughs) Just curious. Did you end up sending your final project to the company? Or do students typically actually share their work with the companies?
2: Yeah, uh, they do. So I shared it and I didn't hear anything back. But <laughs> there was another girl in the program who shared it and I think she was doing open table and I think eventually got a job with them. Oh wow. Yeah. So it
0: actually translated doing a project like that actually translated into her getting a job?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's, it's really helpful because generally in product manager interviews, that's what they ask you to do. Yeah. So that's what I had to do in my Fitbit interview was basically, you know, pitch us a product that spans hardware and software that you think we should make. And so having that experience in kind of a safe to fail environment and to get feedback and kind of build up your own confidence is is really key, I yeah, think.
0: Yeah. And and I have a question. Uh, so it sounds like in your past kind of careers you've used online resources for learning, mm-hmm. but then you decided to attend a physical school. Yeah. Kind of what were some of the reasoning? Cause I'm sure like you were very aware of the opportunities of learning online, but you still ended up going to an actual physical school. So what were some of the considerations there?
2: I think the live the live feedback was really key. And for me, it it was also the instructor. I wanted to learn from someone who had been doing product management kind of in our crazy valley world and knew the ins and outs of it. And there are some product management classes online. Uh, There aren't that many of the ones that I did. They didn't really seem all that helpful. Because I think it's a hard thing to teach online because you do need that feedback. You need to give people the experience to try to pitch something, to... Look at be like a business case and that you're trying to make and like tear it apart and be like, don't make this assumption, this is probably wrong. And not a lot of programs offered that. And so just product school seemed like a, a great place to kind mm-hmm. of practice and and give totally. feedback.
0: And all the instructors actually have industry experience and they're currently yeah. they currently work as product managers. Currently.
2: Yes, yeah. So my instructor was a product manager on the growth team at Lyft. And so, yeah, he w- and he was great, and he was just like, "I'm just going to tell you random facts about things, or you know, this was my day, or what would you do if X, Y, or Z happened." So he was he was a really great instructor. Yeah.
0: So did that uh, oh. did that experience help you get your next job, or how did you end up uh, getting a job at Fitbit?
2: Absolutely. So I kind of applied on a whim, not really expecting to hear back. I had actually applied at Fitbit twice before and had never heard anything. So I figured third time's a charm. (laughs) I guess it was. And so, but I, I think product school definitely gave me the confidence to be able to not only speak to product management as a role, but to be able to connect all of my past experience, even going back to Parallax as an engineering manager to a product role. I was able to look back on my kind of whole career history and really craft a great story about me and why I would be a great product manager with tangible actual examples.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and as so a word that you've mentioned multiple times during this conversation is the word pitch. Yeah, And we talked a little bit about this in the pre-chat, just with your experience with musical theater and how it, it applies to your work as a product manager and how it helped you secure your job. And as someone that's non-technical, that's in sales, all that type of stuff is relevant. Can you talk a little bit more about the importance of pitching and kind of like how a product manager should structure their pitch in order for it to resonate these types of interviews?
2: Yeah. I think pulling from personal experience is key because one, it's confidence within you. It's something that you know about, and then people can really pick up on. And it's all about exuding that confidence in an interview or with someone that you're talking about. And so coming from musical theater and doing musical theater in high school, I was able to get that kind of confidence at a young age of being like, I'm going to sing this song in probably a really awful way, but I'm going to think that you think I'm amazing and you're going to tell me that you think I'm amazing even if you don't. So I think just structuring it, grounding it in your own experiences, researching the company or researching whoever you're pitching to, to tie it to their problems or the things that you think that they're dealing with. So you can show that one, you've thought a lot about it, and two, you have similar experiences in your life that you can draw from and succeed in in what you're doing.
0: Yeah, here. and uh, when it comes to just being a product manager, I think we a little bit we spoke about it a little bit that there's each company has their own way of doing product, and it varies a lot of based on like what the product actually is. Can you give our listeners an idea of what are your day-to-day uh, responsibilities are as a product manager? What does Fitbit do for those of people who don't know? And how do you like your job?
2: Yeah. So I love my job right now. And so Fitbit, for those not aware, is a fitness tracking wearable company. So we have several trackers out on the market, primarily designed for health and fitness, helping you get to that 10,000 a step goal a day. And the team that I am on is sort of the the nexus between when your device meets your mobile app. So there are iOS and Android apps that help you track your progress over time. You can set different goals, be it weight goals, calorie intake goals, and see how you're comparing. So we are in charge of kind of your whole first-time setup experience, pairing your device to your phone every time that your device syncs with your phone. All of that is Within our purview. So, when I was brought on, what I largely am tasked with is updating the first time setup experience and user onboarding, also kind of tying into that education background. So, how we help a user set up their device as easily as possible, and how we then teach them over the course of seven to 30 days about it and how they might use it. So, right now, my day to day is really I'm collecting a lot of data on how our customers are currently faring what areas they're getting stuck on, just doing some work with our UX researchers and our UX designers on how the current process is structured and where it might be efficient or not efficient, and how we might build a better better system.
0: Yeah. And when it comes to collecting data, is it something that you intentionally plan to capture? Like As a product manager, I know you guys probably run a lot of A-B tests, but mm-hmm. do you come up with a hypothesis and then... You say, we want to make sure we track this specific data point. Yeah. And then you analyze it. How does that work?
2: Yeah. So it's really thinking about what you think the goals of the user are and how you can get them through as to that goal as quickly as possible. So when you think in terms of something as first-time setup experience, I am a customer. I just bought this shiny new Fitbit. I am so excited to get it on my wrist. I am so excited to start walking because I'm going to get fitter. I'm going to lose five pounds in like five minutes. Whatever it ends up being. So we want to make that as easy and as fast as possible so we can get a user to that goal. So we might then be measuring the time it takes for them to complete the entire setup flow. What errors might be popping up and getting in their way? Do they have Bluetooth off on their phone? Are there, is their device too far away from their phone? Is their device not charging? A whole host of things. And then really putting those hicks hooks in to say, is this error being thrown? Is it being thrown too much? Perhaps we should look at you know technically solving that problem. Are they instead not able to enter a four-digit PIN code? Is that a struggle point for a user? Where are they? And, and how do we get them through as fast as possible?
0: Yeah. So for uh, people coming from non-traditional backgrounds who are interested in product, what advice would you have for them in terms of getting in front of the companies that are hiring for product managers? And how would you advise them to navigate the space into lending a role? at companies like Fitbit?
2: Yeah. I mean, I would say first, try to stick with an industry that you're familiar with so that you can speak to it a little bit better, I would say. So don't try to just totally jump fields because it might be a little bit more difficult to break into product. If you're at a company right now, I would say start thinking about something that you think that they should build and then really break down why you think that they should build it and how they might get it done. I think it's really easy for people working at companies, and I've definitely done this, to be like, oh, management should be doing this. I just don't understand why they're not going after this opportunity. And so when you have thoughts like that, I think try to break it down. Try to relate it to the business. What else is the company working on? What else does the market look like? How would this help there? What would you do in order to build this? How many engineers would you need? What information would you need to know in order to make sure you're building it right? And then what would you be tracking? And I think if you just kind of start with those types of exercises and get that practice, you'll be able to to speak a lot more confidently when you get into those interviews.
1: Yeah. Now that you got the job and we were talking about confidence and things like that, you mentioned a few things early on that threw you off that are kind of relevant to what you're doing today and how you've been overcoming a lot of those things. Can you kind of touch on that a little bit?
2: Oh, like in terms of like just getting into the into the valley or
1: so because of your your intelligence or your strengths mm. a lot of times people like treated you differently and you you've been able to b- bounce back successfully and now that you're in a work environment where it has similar type of stereotypes how are you dealing with those and and succeeding at your job today?
2: Yeah, I think it's it's a difficult thing sometimes to try to to deal with. So in specific I mean just being in tech as a woman and just kind of overcoming just those subtle biases is challenging, but I think it's grounding yourself in your accomplishments is really important. It's really easy to kind of go down a dark path and believe that you're not good enough because other people don't believe that you're good enough. And at that moment, I like to revisit like past things that I'm really proud of jobs that I've done, projects that I've pulled off and been like, no, I can absolutely do what I'm doing right now too. It's similar, There are similar qualities and just kind of trying to build that, that back up.
0: Yeah. Are there any women in, in, in the tech industry that you follow or you admire?
2: Yeah. I mean, so my aunt for one, she's one of the major reasons that I became an engineer and went into tech. I think Cheryl Sandberg as well just kind of the whole lean in and in terms of leading and blanking on names. But I follow just so many great women on Twitter and just kind of pulling and hearing from their experiences. Anybody who speaks up who maybe I wasn't following before, or just anytime I read just a great medium post, just to kind of talk honestly about things is key.
0: And you mentioned that when you were attending college, that... There were a lot less women in your program. Sometimes you kind of face some obstacles from male uh, colleagues. Yeah. What advice would you have for younger women who are maybe like just starting their college careers and kind of what advice would you have for them in terms of picking the major and then also how do you overcome some of those challenges?
2: Yeah. Don't let the bastards get you down, I guess. I mean, can I say that? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard. I mean, so kind of specifically from what you were mentioning... It happened very early. I had my first physics class and we had a study group and it was all men as it was want to be. And I was asked to leave politely because they were tired of the girl having all the answers. or not all the answers, but a lot of doing a lot of the teaching. And so just having the phrase, the girl be used instead of you was kind of demotivating. And I think in those cases, it's good to just reflect, know that some people are just not good people. And they're not going to be good people. And again, just kind of pull back into yourself and, and recognize how smart you are and how you deserve to be there. And there are people who don't suck in the field as well. So just keep pushing through. I mean, it's hard. It's a hard. It's an easy thing to say, but it's a really hard thing to live. But that's really all you can do.
1: <laughs>
0: I remember in my journey too. Like it's when you, whenever you're acquiring new skill or. Yeah trying to bring into a new industry, there's gonna be people who doubt you. Yeah. There might doubt that, hey, you're a bootcamp grad who just learned how to code. Yeah. So there's gonna be doubters around you. But you gotta at least like what I tell myself is you gotta keep your, your focus on what you're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And if you're not succeeding currently, then just keep moving, keep going forward and then eventually like you'll get to your goal, regardless of what other people say yeah. or what obstacles you face yeah. along the way.
2: Yeah. I mean, or I think it's it's not even like if you're not succeeding or are you not succeeding in the way that People expect yep. you to succeed. Yep. I think it's really making that distinction mm-hmm. uh, in your mind and really yep. recognizing it and facing it because you're not going to please everyone, and yep. that's just a good thing to learn early
0: absolutely. on. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Absolutely. So, the at this point in our podcast, we do the lightning round. Okay. And this is where uh, Arthur Ruben, and I will ask you several questions. If you can provide brief answers, but fill them with strategies that you've used to get to where you are today, that would be great. All right. So, steal that said, myself. This Arthur, sounds intense. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so. Imagine that you were moving to a brand new city and you've done that in your past. You moved from Florida all the way to Sacramento. So imagine you're moving to a new city. You don't know anyone and you have $100. So you have pretty limited resources. Let's assume that shelter and food is taken care of. Okay. What would you do to get yourself back on the feed? And how would you spend that $100 to advance yourself, to put yourself on the path to getting the job?
2: So I'm looking for a job in this situation? Let's assume
0: it's in tech just for our listeners.
2: Okay. So, all right. So new city... Food shelter taken care of. So I think I would probably start and look for classes, either like just like kind of the $20 night class or evening class or whatever. Hope that then I'm meeting people in that situation and then also learning something along the way.
0: Mm -hmm. Nice. Awesome.
1: So you've been through a lot of like, you've got through this, this journey. A lot of times when people are trying to break in, there's ups and downs that they go through. Some people listen to music. Some people watch movies. Is there anything that you go through that for motivation that helps you break through any of your struggles?
2: I still read a lot, I would say. So I think it's... I read a fiction book usually. If I'm feeling really stressed, I either return to an old favorite or I pick up something new. And it allows me to escape for a couple hours, kind of decompress. And then when I kind of come back to things, I usually have a fresher outlook and I feel a little bit better.
0: That's awesome. Any so
2: Favorite books? Yeah. So I just finished American Gods again. Highly recommend. I love I love the Harry Potter series. It's a great quick read. And yeah, I think those are kind of the highlights.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, so for uh, your younger speaking self, books, are there- I, Ruben, I think you were breaking up. Can you repeat that again?
1: I was going to say, speaking of books, are there any specific books related to product management that you recommend to people that are trying to break in?
2: So I love Don Norman's The Design of Everyday Things. It's not directly related to product management. But so much of what you do as a product manager is build a better experience for your customers. And it's just a great mindset for doing that.
0: Yeah. And for our listeners who are currently in the journey, and they're trying to like break in, any last minutes of advice? And then what's one of the ways they could get in touch with you?
2: Yeah. I say, I think, keep trying. Keep at it. Practice your pitching Try deconstructing products, try deconstructing something that you use every day and see how you might make it better. And just kind of get practice in that product thinking over and over again, even if you never present it to anybody, but it'll help you be more confident when you do the interview. And yeah, so I'm reachable on LinkedIn, also pretty active on Twitter. But beware that I use a lot of anime GIFs to express my emotions. <laughs> so I'll let you decide if you want to follow me or not. But it's just at Jessica Ullman. So.
0: Awesome. Well, it was a pleasure having you on our podcast.
2: It's great being we'll, here. Thanks, guys. keep
0: our listeners updated on your journey. And uh, again, uh, thanks a lot for uh, sharing your story with us.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was thanks. fun.
0: Thanks. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't want you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in.